Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. look again at Psalm 118 because it's a great example of exactly what Jesus was talking about after he rose from the dead and he's talking to his disciples and he's trying to help them see that everything that has happened in his death and resurrection has been part of this plan of God before the creation of the world. And if they look back over their Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, their scriptures, they can see, even though those books were written centuries beforehand, they could see that God has been telling this story. And this story has been unfolding exactly as God has planned. And they are part of that story. Jesus is trying to give them this perspective that their life is part of this bigger life, this bigger story that God has for them that he had been writing for centuries. And so we see in Psalm 118 places in this psalm that Jesus is talking about when he said to his disciples in Luke 24, 44, that everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. That's Jesus' way of saying all of what we would call the Old Testament. Notice specifically, he says the Psalms. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the Psalms. And so we see that the Psalms, Jesus had this incredibly high view of the Psalms being written by the Holy Spirit. We've seen that in other places. And so I want to have the same view of the Psalms when I read them that Jesus had that God has been writing in these psalms a foreshadowing bigger story, that he is inviting me, he's summoning me. His Holy Spirit is summoning me into this story. It's as if the pages are crying out to me, come into this story. This is the only story that's real. This is the only story that's forever. And we see this in Psalm 118. Remember, Psalm 118 is the last of the Psalms, Psalm 113 through 118, that the Jews of Jesus's day would read, would sing as hymns, as their observance, part of their observance of Passover week. Jesus came into Jerusalem. We call it Palm Sunday. And the first day of Passover week, we talked about that in the last episode. But there's another verse in Psalm 118. Really, it's before the verses we looked at in the last episode. It reads this. It says, the stone which the builders rejected. I'm reading in verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, you know, this doesn't make a lot of sense to us. It's kind of cryptic, I'm sure, even in the days of Jesus's time when people would read that psalm, it clearly had temple language to it. The idea of a building, usually the the picture that would come to mind reading this psalm would be the temple. It's a lot of temple language, like verse 26 We bless you from the house of the Lord. That's the temple. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. That's talking about the temple. And it's interesting because that phrase is really describing, in some sense, 
the ultimate point of this psalm and that Jesus would be the ultimate sacrifice. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, he is the Passover lamb sacrificed for us. And so ultimately this psalm is about Jesus. And so this phrase in verse 22, this now it's a metaphor of a stone. You have to picture this. This is poetic language. And it's meant to give us an image in some way of who Jesus is in this larger story. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It's a rejected stone, throw it away. And then it became the most significant stone, this stone at the corner that would determine the width and length of this building that would set the place of structure for the entire building at the corner. That's what Jesus became, even though he was rejected by the religious leaders of Israel during his day. And so Jesus actually refers to that verse when he's talking to the religious leaders of his day, and he's predicting that they're going to kill him. They're going to kill him because he is actually the son of the landowner in a parable he just said. And he's going to come and they're going to kill him. You can read that parable. But it's in Matthew 21, verse 42. It says, Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? And then he quotes this verse. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. That's an exact quote of these two verses. Let me read them again, verse 22, and then I didn't read verse 23. Let me read that. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The rejection of the what has become the cornerstone is the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. And Jesus is quoting this psalm, these two verses, and saying, this is me. This is talking about me. And so it says in verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parable, they knew he was talking about them. They knew that when Jesus was quoting this psalm even, that he was talking about them. They're They're the builders that rejected what has become the cornerstone. Now, it hasn't happened yet. They're still going to reject Jesus, and he's still going to become the cornerstone, and it will be the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. What is it? Well, the death of Jesus on the cross to be the one that breaks through the other side of death, to be the one who takes the sins of God's people upon himself. And it is marvelous in our eyes because he will rise from the dead and become the chief cornerstone of a new temple a new temple that is God's people brought into this body of Christ is one metaphor used. This temple on earth is another metaphor used in the Bible. This temple that Jesus is going to build when he brings his people into his church and he is building his temple and he is the chief cornerstone. The apostle Paul talks about that verse in Ephesians 2, 19. He says, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. This is where he's getting that idea from. And then it says in verse 21, now listen to this, in him, this chief cornerstone in Christ, The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. 
and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, don't let that glaze your eyes over because it's a lot of religious language. Here's what Paul's saying. God's building a temple. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is the cornerstone, and you are being built like a living stone into that temple to become a rising temple in which God dwells on earth and lives in by his Holy Spirit. Again, the pages of the Bible are summoning you into the story, summoning you into this temple in which Jesus is the chief cornerstone, rejected by the religious leaders, crucified on the cross, rose from the dead, and now you're invited into this continued story of what building he's the chief cornerstone of, and that's his temple. When we read this verse in the Psalms that's thousands of years old, we are part of the story. We're invited into the story. We can become part of the story. We can continue the story by being part of this temple that's being prophesied in Psalm 118. This is verse 23. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The next verse, verse 24. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us rejoice and be glad that God has always had this story in mind. And even though there are times of pain, of rejection, God has a plan and it's going to become the chief cornerstone that happened in Jesus. And it is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. It was a great story the whole time and we didn't know it. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's literally talking about, even though this is a prophecy centuries before Jesus would come, it's talking about the day of his death, but particularly the day of his resurrection. But it's also something we can look at now thousands of years later and see that today is still part of that story. Today is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it because I'm still part of this ongoing, continuing, bigger story that God is writing, that God is telling, that God is building, that God is doing. Now, the apostle Peter was there when Jesus rose from the dead. And it says in, in Luke 24, verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets. Now, we're going through the whole, what we call the Old Testament. It says, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Imagine that conversation with Jesus. Jesus going back over the scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, and showing them all the things in that that was always pointing to him, always telling this bigger story. No doubt, I bet, one of the passages that Jesus talked about was the passage we're looking at today because the apostle Peter, shortly afterward, is in the temple. He's going to the temple with John. Well, let me just read the story. It says in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, I, these little details in these stories at 3 in the afternoon in no way advances the story, but you can tell it's Peter's account. It's a memory. And so Luke, who knew Peter well, and maybe it's John's account, but it's somebody telling the story and remembering it was three about 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man was lame from birth, being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. There's a big, huge temple, and there's different gates. And so one of the gates to this temple was called Beautiful. Again, that's another detail that doesn't matter. It doesn't advance the story in any kind of way. It's just a throwaway comment because somebody mentioned it because they're remembering it. It really happened. It's a sign. This is a true story. 
I'll continue verse two, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. So here's a man who was lame from birth, being carried to the temple. It was the gate called beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Now we get to verse six. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So there's a big uproar in the temple, and eventually the temple authorities and the chief priests, the religious leaders in Jerusalem of that day that had crucified Jesus, now they're getting upset with Peter and John because now the people are starting to listen to them, and the reason they're starting to listen to them is because somebody who had been lame from birth was just suddenly healed. And the thing that got their attention was this crowd that gathered. And Peter starts to speak to the crowd that gathered. And he's talking about the resurrected Jesus. He was killed. You killed him, and and now he's been resurrected. And so verse 19 of Acts chapter 3, Peter says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus, Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Again, Peter is talking about the Old Testament and had been told long ago, no doubt he's remembering what Jesus had said after the resurrection about how all the Old Testament was telling a story about him, pointing to him. And there's that phrase that he says in verse 21, heaven must receive Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, the ascended Jesus, the bodily ascended Jesus, until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. In other words, through his holy scriptures. He's going to come and bring restoration to the earth, bring restoration to the to creation, and bring resurrection to those who are in Christ. This is the story. Jesus had made it clear to Peter and John and all the disciples after his resurrection, and now Peter is talking about this in the temple courts after they healed somebody who had been lame all their lives. So chapter 4, verse 1, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, these are all groups of religious leaders, came up to Peter and John while they were still speaking to the people. So they're interrupting the people speaking, kind of like the police interrupted the Beatles concert on top of the Abbey Road Studios. The chief priests and all the religious leaders are coming up to Peter and John and interrupting their speech that has this huge crowd. It says in verse 2, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. In other words, not just Jesus' resurrection, but proclaiming in Jesus their resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead of all those who are in Christ. So it says they seized Peter and John and put them in jail, and then eventually they brought them before the the group of called the Sanhedrin, they brought him before the group of leaders in Jerusalem. And it says in verse eight, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers, 
and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. So what Peter does is quotes the verse we're looking at in Psalm 118, that Jesus had quoted saying, this is going to be true of me, that no doubt Jesus showed them when he explained to them all the things written in the scriptures about himself, that Peter is now recollecting and saying, you guys are the builders that rejected Jesus. He has now become the cornerstone. And then he says in verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Those words, salvation, saved, we know in this context, they don't mean having your sins forgiven so that when you die, you can go to heaven. What they mean in this context and what they mean in the Bible is this restoration, this resurrection of the dead. Yes, having our sins forgiven so that we can have resurrection from the dead, so that we can be a part of a resurrection, a resurrected creation, a restored creation. This is the bigger story. This is what Jesus is doing. He's the one that the builders rejected, but by his own resurrection has become the chief cornerstone of building a temple. Even now, we're being brought into this temple and we're going to be resurrected from the dead on a resurrected earth. This is the story that God is telling because this is the story that God has been doing for thousands of years. And you can be a part of that story. Scripture is constantly summoning you to come into this story, live into this story. These religious leaders end up threatening John and Peter, but they let them go because the crowd is you know, going to support them. They can't, they can't do anything bad to them because they fear the crowd. So they let them go. Peter and John go back to the believers. And it says in verse 24 that they were praying that because they were threatened by the religious leaders to stop doing this, or they would experience worse, they'd be thrown in prison. And so they go back and it says that they told the disciples, verse 24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And this is their prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. And now they're going to quote from a Psalm of David, Psalm 2. So again, this is another place where scripture is saying that the Psalms are written by the Holy Spirit ultimately. Psalm 2 was written by David, but again, just like Jesus said, David speaking by the Holy Spirit and then quotes from Psalm 110, the apostles here are saying David writing, speaking by the Holy Spirit, writes in Psalm 2, and this is Psalm 2, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord against his anointed one. They were seeing Psalm 2 as prophetic against what would ultimately happen when the anointed one comes and the nations will rise and plot and conspire against him together, which is what happened with the leaders of Jerusalem and the leaders of Rome crucifying him. And so it says in verse 27, this is continuing their prayer after they quoted from Psalm 2, indeed Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. In other words, he is the Christ. That's that language. 
They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. That's really key. They all did what they thought they were doing on their own choices, and they were making their own choices, but at the same time, in the mystery of how the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth works, it says, they did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. In other words, Psalm 118 that we're looking at here, written centuries before Jesus, is showing us that it had already been God's will, God's plan, that all this should happen. Jesus said, the stone the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone, and he said that to the religious leaders before they crucified him, saying, this is what's going to happen. You're going to reject me. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to be the chief cornerstone of a new temple. This is going to continue the story of God, and you're going to be cut off from it. You're going to be left out of it. I don't know about you, but I just I think all of this is inspiring to me to see how this has always been God's plan. And all the scriptures are telling this story. And they're summoning me into this story. And I want to walk into it. I want to walk through that door. I want to walk into this story to be a part of what Peter called that this and heaven must receive Jesus until the time uh, that he returns and brings the restoration of all things and brings the resurrection of the dead. I want to be in that story. And so when I look at these verses in Psalm 118, verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I want to rejoice and be glad in today because I know that today, Lord, is a day that you have made. You continue to make one day after the next because this is a large, big story. I don't know exactly how long it's going to go on, but I know that you are bringing about the restoration of all things through the resurrected Jesus that is the first of that restoration. And it's a resurrection that is promised to me. And I want to live in that story, Lord. I want that story to be today. Today is the day that you have made. And I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. Because of that day you made when Jesus rose from the dead. You are making this story. And I will rejoice and I will be glad in this story this story that you have for my life, that just as you were completely sovereign over everything that happened that day Jesus was crucified and that day Jesus rose from the dead and you had been telling that story for centuries before any of it happened, but all of it happened because you are Lord of heaven and earth. In the same exact way, no less, you are completely Lord of my day today. Today is a day that you have made, and I will rejoice, and I will be glad in it, and I will walk in it. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.10, I have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which you have prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. I will rejoice and be glad and walk into the good works of the good story that you have recreated me to be in, in Christ Jesus. This is your doing, and I will rejoice because it is marvelous in my eyes, this story that you have summoned me into, that I'm being part of building your temple that rises to become a dwelling in which you live by your Holy Spirit 
and it will be the temple that will physically exist on this earth, this presence of God. God will be with his people, and he will dwell in their midst, and he will be their God, and they will be his people, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. No more crying or pain or death or sickness, because you are making all things new. This is the restoration of all things. And I'm not going to let some dead-end side story hijack this story from my life. Hijack me out of this story. I believe you. I believe your word. This miraculous word written by your Holy Spirit, testified by the apostles who witnessed Jesus' death and resurrection, whom you enabled to do miraculous signs and wonders themselves. And that's how Christianity exploded under the scene. That's why there's even a Bible. That's why this story has been brought into my life. Because you, by your Holy Spirit, through your Holy Word, have been summoning me and summoning those that are building your temple into this story, into your temple, into your presence, into your restoration, into your resurrection into your kingdom. And so I trust you with today. Today is the day that you've made. And I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. Walking with you in the story that you have for me. Trusting in you, Lord and creator of heaven and earth. And I pray in Jesus' name, the name that brings healing and restoration. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.